0: We are delighted tonight to welcome amongst us uh, Dr. David Allen on behalf of the Trinitarian Bible Society, and we're so good that he's here, and we trust and pray that God will be with him and bless him in whatever he shares. Thank you very much, Dr. Allen. Let me say first of all, it's always a great privilege and pleasure to be here on behalf of the Trinitarian Bible Society, and what I want to do first of all is read a portion of God's Word. And then I shall speak of some translation projects of the society, and then having done that, I will turn back to this portion of God's Word and seek to expound a few verses. But I read from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, Second Corinthians and chapter 2. 2nd Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness. For if I make you sorry, who is he that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? And I wrote this same unto you, lest when I came I should have sorrow from them of whom I ought to rejoice, having confidence in you all, that my joy is the joy of you all. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part, that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many, so that contrariwise he ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything, to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Furthermore, when I came to trust to preach Christ's gospel, And a door was opened unto me of the Lord. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savour of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savour of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one we are the savour of death unto death, and to the other the savour of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Amen. Now, I've been linked with the Trinitarian Bible Society for close on 46 years. And I've been a Christian for 46 years, so it doesn't take a great mathematician to work out that I've been linked with a society almost from the day of my conversion. Certainly within two months of my conversion, I was introduced to the work of the Trinitarian Bible Society. And I've been a supporter of that society and spoken on their behalf many, many times uh, in the past 40, 40 years or so. Now, I say that just to emphasize this point, that I cannot remember a time or a year when the society has been involved in more translation projects than we are at the present time. I was speaking last night and a dear lady said to me, Should I, I didn't realize that the Trinitarian Bible Society translated the scriptures, but that is the primary purpose of the society. Yes, we are known for our stand regarding the authorized version, but In addition to that, we are involved in the translation of the Word of God out of the biblical languages of Hebrew and Greek into the many languages of the world. And as I speak, we are currently involved in 38 translation projects. Now, over the last several years, we have completed quite a number of projects. I I simply mention them to you. I've mentioned this one in the past. This is the Nepali Bible. And of course, with your interest in Nepal, uh, our friend the Reverend Wesley Graham has been used of the Lord in distributing vast, vast numbers of the Nepali Bible and the Nepali New Testament and Psalms. We printed 20,000 of these in 2011, and all of those have gone and been distributed. And we are currently arranging for a further 10,000 of these to be printed and when I was recently in the United States we arranged with the Precious Seed Factory in Ohio for the typesetting of the Gospel of John in Nepali and we've arranged for 100,000 copies of the Nepali Gospel of John to be printed in addition to the 10,000 Nepali Bible so when you remember the Reverend Wesley Graham in your prayers as I know you will please remember that Nepali Bible which was completed in 2011 also in 2011 when this translation was completed this is the Armenian Bible for Eastern Armenia that's a a little country to the east of Turkey to the south of Georgia to the north of Iran it's a country of only about three and a half million people but in 1989 there was a great earthquake in Armenia and as a result of that earthquake, 35,000 souls perished in one night. But the result of that tremendous loss of life in one night was to cause many to prepare to meet their God. And it gave a great opportunity for gospel preaching. And a revival broke out in Armenia. And in the course of that revival, 350,000 precious souls were born again of the Spirit of God. Amen. A tremendous work of God, but they had no Bible they could read in their own mother tongue. There, some could read Russian and were able to get a Russian Bible. But a godly couple, Ivan and Sona Pambakian, they had this burden to translate the word of God into their mother tongue. Now Ivan is an evangelist, not a linguist, but his wife Sona, a great linguist, A lady in her 60s, she devoted the last years of her life to produce the Armenian Bible. And this was completed after many, many years hard work in 2011. We printed 20,000 copies and all of those have been distributed. And we are currently arranging for a further 10,000 Armenian Bibles to be printed and distributed. And again, we've arranged for 100,000 copies of the Gospel of John in Armenian also to be printed for that needy land, and all of those go into Armenia for free distribution through the Armenian Christian ministries. Another translation that was completed again in 2011, it's quite significant that 2011, when we remember the 400th anniversary of the publication of the authorised version, four of our projects came to fruition, and we could print them in that year of anniversary celebrations. And this is the Undabili Bible for the peoples of zimbabwe now in zimbabwe uh, in the east, in the west some 20 percent of the people would speak under in the east some 70 percent of the people would speak a different language shona but our translators have worked on this project for many years i think close on 10 years and this was completed in 2011 and again, we sent 20,000 copies. I think I think it was 25,000 copies of this into uh, Zimbabwe. All of those have now gone. I have a dear friend who is the chairman of the Free Grace Evangelistic Association, Dr. Ian Sadler, and he regularly goes to Zimbabwe and to the Congo and to Zambia. And when he returned from his last trip to Zimbabwe, He sent me a a detailed report and he said that for his next trip to Zimbabwe, sometime this year, he needs at least 10,000 copies of that. And whilst he was sending me the report, he received an email from a a pastor of a church in Bulawayo, Pastor Norman Kililombe, and Pastor Norman Kililombe requested 8,000 copies of that. Well, TBS at our annual meeting said we had planned to print a further 20,000. Well, already we've got demands for 18,000 of those. And uh, the people that translated that are now working on the Shona Bible for West, for Eastern Zimbabwe. The New Testament, God willing, will be finished next year. But a tremendous hunger for the word of God in that land under you know, that brutal regime of Robert Mugabe. And yet, my friend Ian Sadler says there is more religious freedom in Zimbabwe than there is in our own land. He says you can preach anywhere in Zimbabwe without fear of molestation, without fear of arrest, and you can't do that anymore in our own land. My, hardly a week goes by without me <coughs> hear of preachers being harassed or arrested even, and would that we had the religious freedom that they have in Zimbabwe, but again, do pray the Lord's blessing upon that. And then, another translation that was completed in uh, 2011 is this one, and that is the Maori Bible for the peoples of New Zealand. And uh, if you know anything about New Zealand from up to 950 AD, it was totally uninhabited, but in 950 AD, Men from Polynesia sailed across the South Seas and they landed in New Zealand and there they settled and these were the Maori people from Polynesia and they were followed by others from Polynesia so that from 950 through to 1640 the only inhabitants of New Zealand were the Maori peoples. In 1640 the Dutch explorer Tasman arrived and from that point it became a trading station other Europeans followed so that now 73% of the population would come from uh, from Europe. Uh, but the first gospel preachers were sent out by the Church Missionary Society, a branch of the Anglican Church, in 1794. They sent out, uh, in fact it was William Wilberforce who sent out Samuel Marsden, And Samuel Marsden went to the peoples of New Zealand and began to preach the gospel to the Maori people. And from 1823, a great work of God took place amongst the Maori people, and many were born again of the Spirit of God. And Samuel Marsden, and then helped by Henry Williams and Samuel Lee, they worked upon the translation of the scriptures into the Maori language, which they completed in 1868. And the Maori people, they they couldn't read, they they had nothing in writing, their their language was a spoken language. They learned to read from the Maori Bible. And once they could read from the Maori Bible, they devoured the word of God. And many of those first converts from 1823 onwards became pastors in their own right. And still there is a tremendous work of God going on amongst the Maori peoples, as indeed there is amongst the aborigines in Australia itself. Towards the end of the 19th century, new missionaries arrived in New Zealand. And they weren't satisfied with the Bible that had been done by Samuel Marsden in 1868. No, they would produce a new Maori Bible. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And they had gone armed with the latest Greek New Testament cobbled together by those two scoundrels, Westcott and Hort. And they produced a new Maori Bible. And then they presented it to the Maori pastors. And the Maori pastors looked at it. They noticed there were verses missing. Verses changed. So they went back to these new missionaries with these boxes of new Maori Bibles. You keep them. We don't want them. The word of God is worthy of more respect so-called primitive people had more discernment than many preachers that have spent four years in Bible colleges the length and breadth of the United Kingdom. They put us to shame. But they did ask us, the Maoris, about 20 years ago if we would uh, revise that 1868 translation for the simple reason that those early missionaries, Marsden and Lee and Williams, they had anglicized a lot of the Maori words, and so the Maoris wanted true Maori words and phrases put back. And so uh, a Maori man worked on this, and this was completed in 2011, and we sent 6,000 copies of that to the Maori Christians, to the Maori churches, and uh, they are so enthusiastic about, about that. So do pray for the Maori peoples in New Zealand. Over the next 12 months, we also... Hope in the will of the Lord to complete the following translations, the Romanian Bible. I, I met with our translator, Dino Moga, uh, a native Romanian, a few months ago, and uh, the translation is nearing completion, and we are hopeful by the end of this year to print the complete Romanian Bible. And I have to say there's a tremendous demand for that in the Republic of Ireland also. There are many Romanian speakers in the Republic of Ireland and uh, friends from your Televalan congregation and Market Hill congregation go down there into the Republic almost every week distributing scriptures. And one of the great demands that they have is for the Romanian Bible. Uh, Another translation, God willing, that will be printed towards the end of this year is the Farsi Bible. And some of you will remember uh, the translator because he spent four years at the Whitfield College of the Bible. A young Iranian man, Puyan Mashahi, a dear friend of mine, now ministering in a Baptist church in Gloucestershire. And he has uh, more or less finished the revision of the Henry Martin William Glenn Farsi Bible of the 19th century. And again, God willing, we hope to be able to print that this year And through the ministry that he has conducted in 2011 and 2012 through the Let the Bible Speak ministries, the demand for the Farsi Bible is colossal. So again, we commend the Farsi Bible to you. I know that you have missionary interests in Spain and uh, Spain and the Spanish speaking world does not have an accurate translation of the word of God so we are working on a revision of one that came out of the Reformation, the reign of Alera, and God willing, by 2015, the New Testament will be completed and probably three or four years later, the Old Testament. And again, not so much in Spain, but in Central America and Latin America and the United States, there is a great demand and a great interest in our Spanish revision project. So I just commend those uh, to you, but let me just mention a, a, a couple of others. This one here is the Gospel of John in Mongolian. Now, Mongolia is a country which, since 1910, has been divided into two, Outer Mongolia and Inner Mongolia. The population of the two put together is only about six million people. It's a vast country, very small population. Of course, the people from Mongolia historically are known as the Mongols. We think of Genghis Khan. Uh, They were regarded as one of the most barbaric and brutal peoples upon the face of the earth. The Great Wall of China was built to keep the Mongols out of China. So vicious, so brutal, so barbaric were they. But the grandson of Genghis Khan was Kublai Khan. Uh, And Kublai Khan met the explorer Marco Polo. During his meeting with Marco Polo, he asked Mr. Polo When you return to Europe, could you arrange for 100 Christian missionaries to be sent to us in Mongolia? Well, Mr. Polo came back to Europe, but he was a Romanist. And so he made representation to the Antichrist, to the man of sin, to the man in Rome. And the Pope was asked to send 100 Roman Catholic missionaries to Mongolia. Well, I'm pleased to say the Pope couldn't find 100. And he couldn't find 50, and he couldn't find 20, and he couldn't find 10, and he couldn't find 5. I think he eventually found two Dodri old priests and bought them a donkey each and sent them off to Mongolia. They got as far as eastern Turkey, saw the mountains of Ararat, turned the donkeys back to Rome. And when Kublai Khan heard what had happened, he said, if that's Christianity, we're better off without it. Well, I agree with him. He was better off without it, because that is no Christianity at all. But I mention that to stress this, that nothing was done then for several centuries to evangelize Mongolia. In 1830s, four missionaries went to Mongolia. They stayed literally a few months. They met with no success, and then they went back home. And nothing was to be done until 1996. So much so that in 1992, there were four Christians in the whole of Mongolia. The figure tonight is estimated between 36,000 and 40,000, and that's in a 22-year period. Would that we had such growth in Ulster. In 1996, seven American missionaries went to Mongolia. And once they'd learnt sufficient of the language, they began to preach the gospel to the Mongolians. And the Lord blessed them, and the Spirit of God was outpoured, and souls were born of the Spirit of God, and churches were formed. But then they set about the task of translating the Word of God, but that was a problem, because not one of them could speak Hebrew or Greek. So they translated the English Bible, but sadly, they didn't translate the King James Bible, they translated. The New American Standard Version. Very poor translation, just slightly better, only slightly better than the NIV. So they translated that. And to this day, that's all that they have. 2006, we were informed that there were men in place in Mongolia who were desirous to translate the scriptures from the Hebrew into Greek uh, and the Greek into Mongolian. Could TBS be involved? Could TBS supply expert advice? So we sent a man by the name of Bill Patterson. Now, Bill is a remarkable man, a very humble man, a very godly man, but a great linguist. He learnt Greek, or began to learn New Testament Greek, at the age of two. Some of us have struggled for 46 years with Greek. But by the age of five, he was fully conversant in Greek and Hebrew. A remarkable linguist we sent to Bill. And he arrived in Mongolia, made contact with this team of seven translators, arranged a meeting with them. Five of them didn't turn up. Only two turned up. And he only saw those two that one occasion these people so interested they disappeared altogether lost all interest so Bill stays there because he was contacted by one of those American missionaries who is still in Mongolia and this American missionary contacted Bill and said I I, I hear that you are here to do a translation from the Hebrew and the Greek, is that the case? well Bill said yes but the translators have disappeared and and this translation, you must not go home You are the answer to my prayer. Since we did our translation, I have prayed the Lord would send some expert with expert linguistic skills to do a proper translation. He said what we did was the best that we could, but it's not good enough. The people deserve better. And that missionary is one of the great supporters of our project, though he can't be involved because he has no Hebrew or Greek. So Bill stayed. within months, he had become so proficient in the Mongolian language, you would think he had learnt it on his mother's knee. And he set about the task of translating. Pray the Lord would raise up others. And that prayer has been wonderfully answered. <clears throat> in 2008, a man, 42 years of age, Dashkar, Uh, Fluent in seven languages, he joined Bill in this translation project. And then in 2010, a lady in her mid-60s who had been converted when she was 62, 63 years of age, a lady by the name of Oyawama, before she had been converted, she was the chief translator to the Dalai Lama in Tibet. But when she heard of this translation project, she resigned that very lucrative position to work for next to nothing on this translation project because it so burdens her heart she's a great help and then 18 months ago a young man a barrister was also converted he was also a good linguist a young man by the name of Sanbu and he resigned his position as a barrister and he now works full-time on the translation of the Mongolian Bible and already the team of four now working full-time on this they have done the first draft of the entire new testament the first draft of the first five books of the Old Testament. They're doing the second draft of the New Testament in addition, and then we shall be in a position perhaps in 2016 to print the New Testament in Mongolian. We did the Gospel of John and we sent 115,000 copies of that recently into Mongolia. So again, we would actually pray for the peoples of Mongolia. I mentioned just one more translation project because this is a great. Uh, burden of my heart Uh, and that is this this is the new testament in hebrew of course the new testament was in new testament greek the old testament was in hebrew but we did the new testament in hebrew for distribution amongst the jews and we've also recently printed the gospel of john in hebrew and I, i believe that we should regularly and consistently pray for the conversion of the Jews. You remember Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved, for I bear them record they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And Paul, in chapter 11 of Romans, says this, If the fall of them be the riches of the world, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. I believe there are yet great and glorious days in store for the Jews. I believe multitudes will yet have the scales removed from their blinded eyes and they shall see that the Lord Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. When I was preaching at your congregation in Vancouver at Cloverdale in November, after I preached in the evening, I was looking at the book table and I noticed there was a a report from the Society for the Distribution of Hebrew Scriptures. So I picked it up and read it. It's their branch in the United States. And I was thrilled. The first paragraph, they were thanking the TBS for all the Hebrew Scriptures we had supplied them with. But then there was an account of a conversion of a rabbi sometime last year. This society or friends of the Society for the Distribution of Hebrew Scriptures had got our Hebrew New Testament and they were working in New York State in an Orthodox Jewish community. They came across this rabbi and in course of conversation they presented the rabbi with the, with the Hebrew New Testament and the rabbi looked at it. Oh, Hebrew New Covenant. Thank you. I take and I prove you're Jesus, not Messiah. So he took it went home phoned a friend up invited him round and these two orthodox jews rabbi and his friend agreed that they would meet one morning a week and they would read through the hebrew new covenant to prove jesus not messiah but before they began to read they made an agreement with each other if we find anything we consider to be the truth, we will try to embrace it. So in one sense, they were coming with an open mind, which was a good thing. And they began to read. One would read a chapter aloud. The other would listen intently, taking notes. But by the time they got through the gospel of Matthew, the friend of the rabbi said, Now I see new covenant is the word of God. Oh, but I cannot and I dare not embrace it. It will cost me too much. But the rabbi also saw that that the new covenant was the word of God. And he repented of his sin, of unbelief. The scales were removed from his eyes. He saw that the Lord Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah. He cried to the Lord to have mercy upon his soul, wonderfully converted, born again of the spirit of God. Two days later came the Jewish Sabbath and he goes to the synagogue. And it was his turn to read the scriptures that were allotted for the day. And he read the scriptures. And like the Lord in the synagogue of Nazareth, having read the scriptures, he closed the book. And then he looked at the congregation. I have found the Messiah. The men cried out, who is the Messiah? And there in the synagogue, that Sabbath day. From the text and chapter that he had read publicly, he preached the Lord Jesus Christ. As he left the synagogue, he was knocked to the ground. They broke his jaw. They then ripped the tassels off his sleeve and then they ripped his shirt over his heart, which to an Orthodox Jewish man means he is now regarded as a dead man by the Jewish community. He is a non-person that rabbi has lost everything for christ but as with the apostle paul he counts it but done that he may win christ and be found in him not having his own righteousness and that rabbi now spends his days in orthodox jewish communities in new york state and also in jerusalem mainly in jerusalem working amongst orthodox jewish peoples giving out the scriptures the Hebrew New Testament, the Hebrew Gospel of John. And my heart thrills to hear of rabbis being converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know there is a very small Orthodox Jewish community in Belfast, and we do need to pray that they too might have the scales removed from their blinded eyes, that they might, like the rabbi, come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I could go on speaking of other translation projects, but I'll leave it at that because I do now want to turn to a verse of Scripture that I, I read from the second uh, letter of Paul to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians and chapter 2. And I want to draw your attention to verse 17. For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, But as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Even in the days of the Apostle Paul, there were those who sought to corrupt the word of God. And he tells us earlier on, we are not ignorant of his devices, that is Satan's devices. Because it has ever been Satan's intention to corrupt the Word of God. And behind all the modern translations, I have no hesitation in saying I see the handwork of the devil seeking to corrupt the pure Word of the living God. Paul says, We are not as many, there were many which corrupted the word of God. And my friends, we are living in days when there are many who will corrupt the word of God. You see, the devil knows full well that God has magnified his word above all his name, that God has put everything upon the veracity of his word. If one jot or tittle of the word of God should fail, then God has failed. For he has magnified his word above all his name. And therefore the devil will do all that he can to undermine the authority of the word of God. To corrupt the word of God. For he knows that the Lord of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So if he can produce an imperfect scripture. He will do all in his power so to do. Oh, my friends, we should not be ignorant of his devices in this day, in this age in which we live. We need to remember that the devil is a liar from the beginning. He is a murderer of the souls of men. His great desire is to drag souls down to the depths of hell with himself. In the beginning, when the Lord spoke to Adam, chapter 2 of the book of Genesis, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. That's the word of God. But Satan, disguised as a subtle and slippery serpent He comes in chapter 3 into the garden Questioning the authority of the word of God Yea, hath God said And what does the devil say? Yea, hath God said Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden But God did not say that. What God actually said, of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. So already we see the devil corrupting the word of God. And he sows the seeds of doubt into Eve's heart and she responds, In her own words, in Genesis 3 and verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. But Eve, God did not say that. There in Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, in the words of Eve, you have the first revision of the words of God, the first NIV, if you like. You see, Satan has already caused her to corrupt the word of God, and she does so in three ways. First of all, she takes away from the words God spoke in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. She takes away two words. She takes away the word every from every tree. And she takes away the word freely from freely eat. So she removes two words from the pure word of God. And my friends, that's how the devil still works today. He will take away from the word of God. But then there is a second thing that Eve does. Oh yes, she takes away firstly, but then secondly, she adds to the word of God. She adds five words. Neither shall ye touch it, but read Genesis 2, 16, 17. God never said that. That's Eve's imagination. That's Eve's invention. That's Eve's addition to that which God had said. So first she takes away, then she adds, and then the third thing that she does is to change or to substitute the words that God gave she puts the words lest ye die but god didn't say that genesis 2 16 17 god said thou shalt surely die so she changes the word of god and my friends the devil works in the same way today we are not ignorant of his devices He takes away from the word of God. He adds to the word of God. He changes the word of God. Even in the temptations in the wilderness, in that third temptation that Satan came to our Lord and he brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said unto him, Thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in their hands. They shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. There, in that third temptation, the devil adds words. Of course, the original, quotation is found in Psalm 91, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. But the devil, in all subtlety, adds uh, omits four words in all thy ways. And he adds three words at any time. And this is the way the devil works, his strategy never changes. Through the likes of Mr. Westcott and Mr. Hort in the nineteenth century, through the Bible colleges in the English-speaking world and elsewhere. That old serpent is still at it, taking away from the word of God and adding to the word of God and corrupting the word of God. My friends, I just want to show you very simply how he has done that in the modern translation we believe that this book is the inspired word of god that holy men of god spake as they were moved by the holy ghost we believe that every word of god is pure we believe that the word of the lord endureth to all generations that god has preserved his word throughout every generation of the church let us look first of all at the omission that one finds in the modern translations. And I just take you through them without making comment no more than a sentence on each because there are so many of them. But let me just show you, first of all, omissions in the modern translations in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 21. The whole of the verse is missing in the English Standard Version and in the New International Version and in the New English Bible, the New American Standard Version, and all the rest of them. Matthew 17, 21. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. The whole of that verse is missing. Satan taking away from the Word of God. Matthew 18, verse 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. What a wonderful gospel text that is. But you couldn't preach the gospel from that text if you've got an NIV or an ESV. It's not there. The devil has removed it. Matthew 23, verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayer, therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. The whole of that verse is missing. In the modern translation, the devil has removed it. Mark chapter 9, two more verses that speak of hell removed. Mark 9 verse 44 Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And also verse 46, Where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Those two verses speaking of the eternal torments of the damned in hell removed. From the modern translation. Mark chapter 11, verse 26. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Again, that whole verse is missing. Here is Satan. Yea, hath God said, Taken away from the word of God. Questioning the authority of the word of God. Mark chapter 15 and verse 28. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, and he was numbered with the transgressors. That verse is missing. The devil questioning the word of God. Mark 16 verses 9 through to verse 20. I preached on these verses over at Enniskilling at a missionary weekend meeting last Lord's Day evening, but I could not have preached on these verses if I would have taken an NIV or an ESV. And because the last 12 verses of the Gospel of Mark, if you have an NIV or an ESV or the rest of them, at the end of verse 8 there is a black line going across the page across the column then there is a gap and then in bold capital letters it says the most ancient and most reliable manuscripts do not have mark 169 to 20 and then in double brackets they will include these, 20, uh, these 12 verses, but you've already been told it's not part of the Word of God. Last year, I'm not sure whether I can find it. Yes, I can find it. In the newsletter, on the 5th of January 2012, there was an article by the former Presbyterian Church moderator, the Reverend Stafford Carson. He was asked the question, is the King James Bible still the best? And he has this to say about these 12 verses, he says. Most of the content of these disputed verses at the end of Mark is found elsewhere in the New Testament, and no Christian doctrine is affected if they are missed out. Given the weight of evidence, it is intellectually honest for the ESV translators to point out these variants and place them in brackets. What about the doctrine of scripture to start with? Is every word of God pure? Is all scripture given by inspiration of God or not, Mr. Carson? Intellectually honest. (laughs) Do you know there are 937 Greek manuscripts that contain the Gospel of Mark in existence? In 934 of the 937, you have these 12 verses. In only three, Codex Vaticanus, and that should set the alarm bells ringing, Codex Sinaiticus, and in minuscule manuscript 634, in only three are these verses missing. And even in Codex Sinaiticus, there is a gap sufficient for 12 verses to be inserted, but you can see they've been removed if you examine Codex Sinaiticus, and so he tells us given the weight of evidence it is intellectually honest to miss them out yea hath God said Mr Carson intellectually honest I, I taught mathematics for a time I hope I taught my students correctly but I would have taught them that 934 is a greater number than three. But you see, they've got a way around it, these clever, clever dick, uh, higher critics. You know what they'd say? 934 is one witness. But three is three witnesses. So three is greater than one. Of course, we found the government doing a similar trick, didn't we? On the sodomite situation. Half a million signatures... Signed addresses were regarded as one. Online sodomites voting, unnamed, no addresses. Some sodomite could vote a hundred times were counted as individual votes. The same thing happened, you see. And that's how they got rounded. 934 equals one, three equals three. Three is greater than one, given the weight of it. Intellectually honest, I think that is deceit on a scale unprecedented. Let me take you through other verses. Luke 17, verse 36. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken, the other left. That is missing. Luke 23, verse 17. For of necessity he must release one unto them at the feast. John chapter 5, verse 4. We have a booklet outside that lists all these omissions. John 5, verse 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into a pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. The whole of that verse has been removed. Couldn't preach on that with the NIV or the ESV. John chapter 7, verse 53. As far as John chapter 8, verse 11, another 12 verses. As with the end of Mark's gospel, at verse 52 of chapter 7 of John's gospel, at the end of verse 52, a big black line goes across the column. Then there is a gap. Then in bold capital letters, you are informed, the most reliable and ancient manuscripts do not have. John 7, 53 to John 8, verse 11, the case of the woman taken in adultery. I preached on that last Lord's Day morning to your congregation in Clock Mills, but I couldn't have done that with an NIV or ESV in my hand. The woman is not even mentioned in those translations, those verses missing. Yea, hath God said, Satan taken away from the word of God. Acts chapter 8, verse 37. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. The whole of that verse is missing. A tremendous declaration of faith from the lips of the newly converted Ethiopian eunuch. It staggers me that Baptist churches in Northern Ireland have modern translations. They believe in what they call believers' baptism. And I suspect that they would not baptize anyone by immersion unless they had given a clear profession of faith. But this eunuch is baptized without any profession of faith. The whole of verse 37 is missing. Acts 8, 29. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And so Philip now runs without any direction from the spirit of God. Romans 16, verse 24. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. If you look at every letter that the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, his signature is that expression, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You'll find it towards the end of every epistle Paul wrote. You will not find Peter using that expression. You will not find John using that expression or Jude or James. This is a peculiarity of the Apostle Paul. That's how we know Paul wrote the letter to the Hebrews because you find Paul's signature, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. But that verse is missing in Romans. Paul's signature removed, as it were. And 1 John 5 and verse 7 (coughs) There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. That whole verse, that clear statement of the doctrine of the Blessed and Holy Trinity is removed. Uh, So Satan's strategy is to take away from the Word of God. Uh, There are other ways in which he takes away. I've just shown you whole verses that he takes away. Let me just give you a couple of examples of where he takes away just a part of a verse, and so changes the whole concept of the verse, Colossians chapter one, verse fourteen. he is a very subtle creature Colossians one fourteen in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. of course, the devil doesn't like the blood so he removes it and the modern versions read in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins and that reference to the blood of Christ has gone but there is no redemption and therefore there can be no forgiveness apart from the shedding of the precious blood of Jesus Christ the Lamb of God and 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the first seven verses, Paul is rebuking the church at Corinth. There was a case of gross immorality in the church. It had not been subjected to church discipline. So Paul judges as though he were present. And incidentally, I read from 2 Corinthians 2, verse uh, chapter 2, and the first part of that chapter is, Clear that this man who was then subjected to church discipline has repented and therefore Paul is urging them to take him back into the fellowship of the church. But here in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, having rebuked the church, he says in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Those last two words are the most vital words in the New Testament, as far as you and I are concerned. Because those two words bring before us the truth of what the theologians call penal substitution. Or, let me give you in the words of the hymn writer, in my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon." with his blood there on calvary's cross jesus christ who is without sin was dying for sins not his own as our sins were laid upon him he bore our sins in his own body on the tree so that christ our passover is sacrificed for us wonderful truth vital truth ah but the devil doesn't like that doctrine So the new versions just read, for even Christ our Passover is sacrificed, full stop. Those two vital words missing. We are just told a historical fact. But that historical fact doesn't show that you and I have an interest. That Christ died for us. And the same two wee words are missing in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. Oh, the devil. Well, I could go on giving you other verses and phrases that are omitted, but just those two, the blood missing and those two vital words for us missing. Oh, Satan's strategy. We are not ignorant of his devices like those Maori Christians. Oh, they saw that these new missionaries with their new Maori Bible. They saw there were verses missing and so they, they took those Bibles back. No, thank you. The word of God is worthy of more respect. But then the second strategy, and I will be very brief on this, the second strategy of the devil is to add to the word of God. And let me just give you one example, because time is rushing by. i turn you to Paul's letter to the Hebrews. And chapter 11, Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 11. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. So who is the subject there? It is Sarah. It is the faith of Sarah that is now brought before us. Let me read you what the NIV says. It's not often I quote the NIV, but let me now read you the NIV and you follow it very, very carefully in the King James Version. I'm reading now the NIV. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was unable to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. So in the NIV, it is no longer Sarah who is the subject of this verse, but it is Abraham. So we turn to the editors of the NIV and we say, well, which Greek manuscript did you use for this novel interpretation? Was it Codex Vaticanus? Or or was it Codex Sinaiticus? Or or was it Codex Ephraim? Or Codex Beese? Or Codex Alexandrinus? Or... Which Greek manuscript did you use? Well, he said, well, there isn't one. So how did you come to this strange, this novel interpretation which no one in the history of the Christian church has ever come up with before you sat down to produce the NIV? How did you come up with this? Well, they said, Sarah's not a good example of faith. She laughed. It's incredible, isn't it? And therefore, on their own admission, they rewrite the word of God, though there is not one Greek manuscript to substantiate what they have done. How come, how has it come to pass that so-called evangelical churches throughout Ulster have been using the NIV? when they do that kind of thing. Oh, Paul says, we are not as many which corrupt the word of God by taking away, by adding to it. No, no, no. So Satan takes away and Satan adds. And then the third thing that he does is to change the words of God. And I give give you just two or three examples. Turning back to the Old Testament. Book of Micah, chapter 5. Micah, it's uh, one of those little books in the Minor Prophets. If you get to the end of the Old Testament, work back about 20 pages, you should come back to the book of Micah. It's on page 921 in my Bible. Micah, chapter 5, and verse 2. You'll know the words anyway. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrata, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is, to be a ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Here we are told that the Messiah will be born in this little provincial backwater, Bethlehem Ephrata, Little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be a ruler in Israel. And then these words, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting, that speaks of the eternal generation of the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is begotten, he is not created, he is from everlasting. Let me read you now. What the NIV and its sister, the Watchtower Bible of the Jehovah's false witness people, have to say. I say its sister because the NIV is not much dissimilar to the Watchtower Bible. And the ESV is not far behind. But Micah 5 verse 2 in the NIV reads like this. But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Not whose goings forth have been from of old, but whose origins are no longer from everlasting, but from ancient times. Satan changes the words of God. You see, that which has an origin has a beginning. But Christ has no beginning and no end of days. Here is a verse which is speaking of the eternal generation of the Son. And ancient times, ancient times can be dated. I lived in Canada for a time in the 1970s. Indeed, I was present at the two-week mission in Toronto that led... To the formation of your congregation there in Toronto, and I was privileged to go back there in November of last year, but I was always intrigued in the 1970s walking around Toronto or Ottawa to see these buildings, 50, 60 year old, and they would have a brass plaque on them. Ancient building. Indeed, I was in Lethbridge in Alberta in November and I went with my friend Adrian Stutterstyke for a meal in this restaurant. and. Uh, this had been a, uh, I think it had been a blacksmith's shop and it had been converted into a restaurant and it was a concrete dome shape of a building. And as we came out, I noticed on the wall outside a brass black, so I, I read it, this is an ancient building of historical interest, date 1931. I think I qualify for a brass black. <laughs> But you see, that which is ancient can be dated. But Christ is not from ancient times, he is from everlasting. Oh, the subtlety of Satan. Change in this tremendous verse regarding the eternal generation of Jesus Christ, the Son. I'll turn you just to one more verse. i turn you to Romans chapter 14. And verse 10, because this is a very, very subtle change indeed, and the vast majority of people wouldn't even notice this change. But it is a vital change. Romans 14, at the end of verse 10, the Apostle Paul makes this statement. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ now i suggest that that is perfectly consistent with the teaching of the new testament that we shall all stand before the judgment seat of christ our lord says in john 5 and verse 22 for the father judgeth no man but hath committed all judgment unto the son and you remember that in the acts of the apostles twice over first in acts chapter 10 and at verse 42 we are told these words Acts 10 and verse 42 and he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that it is he which hath was ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead so it is Jesus Christ who has been ordained of God to be the judge of quick and dead so we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ And again the Apostle Paul declares in Acts chapter 17 and at verse 31 he says because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained. So Paul is perfectly consistent. He tells us in verse 10 of chapter 14 we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But the modern version based upon two corrupted Greek manuscripts, say we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. But My friends, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what Paul is here doing, he is proving as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, we are standing before God. Because what Paul does in the next verse, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 45, verse 11 of Romans 14. As I lift, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. That's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 45. In Isaiah 45, six times the Lord says, for I am God and there is none else. And in Isaiah 45, he says, look unto me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself the word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow every tongue shall swear. So in Isaiah 45 to whom will every knee bow? It is to God beside whom there is none else. So Paul makes the statement we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He quotes Isaiah forty-five twenty-three to prove that Christ is God because in verse 12 he says so then Every one of us shall give account of himself to God. He is proving that Jesus Christ is God. But Satan doesn't want that proof. And so he changed it. Instead of Christos, Theos, God. Oh, the subtlety of Satan. Changing the word of God by taking away, by adding, by changing the word of God. My friends, you can have God's Bible or you can have Satan's Bible. That's the choice before the judges. You can have God's inspired, pure, preserved word, or you can have Satan's corrupted edition. And all the modern versions, without exception, including the New King James Bible, have the hallmark of Satan upon them. The authorised version alone bears the stamp and the authenticity of the Word of God. We are not as many which corrupt the Word of God. May that ever be the position of the Free Presbyterian Church and of the Trinitarian Bible Society. Before I sit down, if I could just draw your attention to one or two things on the book table outside. On the um, bookcase to the right there are some free literature, our quarterly records. But on the book table itself you will see uh, a chart which is a Timeline: a pictorial timeline showing the history of the English Bible. It's a fascinating piece of work. It was done by a young lady in the north of England uh, that I've known for many years. Her father is a minister. She's a very talented artist and I suggested to Abigail, uh, her name is Abigail Mohan, I suggested to her in 2010 that she do an artistic timeline to show the history of the English Bible ready for the 400th anniversary and she produced that in it's in two sizes we have a large size for church display sunday school display and then we have a smaller size for display in home so if you have time please have a look at that there are also booklets out there that uh, list all the changes that have been made in the new testament and that's priced at 40 pence but i've also put a package of booklets to do with the authorised version and the modern translations together they're priced at three fifty. dollars uh, Draw your attention to this publication, this is the Westminster Reference Bible that was produced last year, we do it in a leather edition and this uh, hardback edition, it's a wide margin one, it has lots and lots of references, far more than any other Bible that we have produced and also where a word And there are not many, but there are some words that have changed their meaning since 1611. Where a word has changed its meaning, then in the margin you are told what the equivalent word would be today. Uh, So it is a fine publication, that, and I do commend that to you. Also, we produce this uh, Daily Light. Some of you may remember the Daily Light produced by the Baxter family in the 1830s. uh, A day-by-day reading scheme. Uh, They they actually... uh, for each day they take a subject and then gather scriptures related to that subject from other from all over the scriptures and uh, it was done in the 1830s but sadly from the 1960s uh, it went over to the modern versions, well the TBS have now produced it in the authorised version and we do that again in three editions, hardback, leather and that little paperback. And then we do greetings cards and Christmas cards. I know it's only March and a bit early to be thinking of Christmas, but um, people find it very, very difficult to find Christmas cards and greeting cards that have verses of Scripture from the King James Version. And so I do draw your attention to those greeting cards and Christmas cards that clearly do have the King James Version as the text of Scripture. Thank you for uh, listening so patiently, and I trust what I've had to share with you has been an encouragement to you to continue to pray for the work of the Trinitarian Bible Society. Thank you. On your behalf, we do want to thank Dr. Allen for being with us again and sharing with us (coughs) this Wednesday evening. He will be coming back at some stage to preach for us during the Lord's Day. I can't remember the date, but he is coming back. He's looking at his diary now, so... uh, 1st of March, 2015... Oh, <laughs> a year away. <laughs> All right, sorry. I thought it was sooner than that. Um, th- th- that, that has uh, been tremendous uh, for us tonight. Uh, thank you so much for coming and thank you so much for sharing.